It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And welcome in, everybody, to this week's episode of the Pipeline Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman, joined by MLB Pipeline, Jonathan Mayo, and Jim Callis. Thank you guys for joining me. Uh, another week, another podcast. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm awesome. I'm at Salt River Fields uh, currently. So uh, anytime you can watch some baseball, it's a good day. Yes, yes. Jonathan, on location in Arizona, we are going to get to a lot of uh, spring training-related topics. Uh, Jim, are you also on location, or are you in between spring training trips? I'm in between. It is. I've, well, I still feel like I've never recovered the what day of the week it is between t- doing top 30s and going to spring training. It is Wednesday, I believe, as we record this, and I take off on Saturday. So. I see. I see. So, uh, Jonathan, we are going to since you are you are in Arizona, we are going to get to, to what you've been seeing uh, over the last few days since you've been there. Uh, but I want to start uh, with just some of the top performing players so far in spring, uh, not just in Arizona, but also out in Florida. And uh, and and, and what, one of the guys, one of the top hundred prospects that's really stood out, and I think has the best OPS of all the prospects uh, in big league camp so far this year, is Pirates third base prospect Cabrian Hayes. Uh, Jonathan, I know, I know, you know, living in Pittsburgh, you're very familiar with the Pirates system. Uh, to Brian, he, he was in the Futures game, had a home run in the Futures game. He's got a couple homers in big league camp this year so far. Uh, what he really, really kind of broke out last season. Do you think this is is the next chapter in the Cabrian Hayes breakout? I think so. I mean, you know, I, I think I think everything is, uh, you know, with the caveat of spring training. But I think it's good that uh, he's showing a uh, what he can do to the big league staff and. Uh, because I think it's just a question of of when and not if he he gets called up, and I don't know if it'll be this year. Some of that will depend on you know Jung Ho Gong at third or Colin Moran. He's better than both of them, uh, maybe combined. Uh, you know, I think that if the the power is starting to show up more, uh, that is a very encouraging sign. He's always shown a good approach at the plate. The last two years, uh, the walk rates have gone up. Uh, last year, more extra base ability. I think he's going to take that next step, and he's going to be knocking on the door because he's always had the you know the, the defensive ability. The last couple of years, he is uh, you know for for our money and you know, after talking to people when we do that story in the all you know all defensive team, he he's probably the best defensive third baseman in minor league baseball right now. Yeah, and Jim, you know, I think we knew that Hayes was going to be a good defender uh, coming out of the draft, but I think the offense is really something that's picked up over the last year. What do you think his, his offensive ceiling is? Because uh, we know the glove's going to play, but, but how good could he get uh, on the offensive side of the ball? I think Brian Hayes has got a very healthy ceiling as a hitter. You know, obviously, you aren't going in the first round of the draft if you don't have offensive potential. Uh, you know, I guess Kyle Holder might be the one exception to that, uh, where, where people kind of question his bat. But, no, I mean, what's impressed me about Cabrian is that you know, he's a guy who has always been hit over power. He's worried about hitting the ball hard and, and making hard contact rather than selling out for home runs. You know, a lot of guys get caught up trying to do that. And as you watched him developmentally and, and talk to scouts each year, 
you know, they mentioned the fact that, you know, he, he hits for more doubles, the doubles start turning into home runs. And I think when all is said and done, I mean, Cabron Hayes might wind up being a 280, 300 hitter with, you know, 20, you know, maybe even more than 20 homers per year. So I, the, the whole package is very exciting with Cabron Hayes. Yeah, and and there there are a lot of lot of exciting third base uh, uh, third base in the, in the big leagues already. Uh, it's maybe one of the lowest loaded positions that we have at the big league level, but plenty in the minors as well. And Hayes is certainly one of them. Now another guy uh, who who has played a good amount of third base in his minor league career, um, but but is maybe maybe more of a first base DH type is uh, Red Sox hitter Michael Chavis, who has four home runs this this spring for the Red Sox. And I think Chavis is in an, an especially interesting. Uh, situation because he's kind of battling it out with another 23-year-old third baseman with huge power, Bobby Dahlbeck, another top Red Sox prospect. Both of these guys are hitting pretty well this spring. But I'm curious how you guys see these two guys up together. Obviously, the Red Sox just won the World Series. They're not in any particular huge need to add to their offense anytime soon. But where do you guys lean on on Chavis versus Dahlbeck, and Chavis especially uh, this spring? How have you liked seeing, seeing what he's been doing so far? Jonathan, what do you think? Uh, you know, so far so good. I, I think it, you know it's a good problem for the Red Sox to have, especially uh, considering that the, uh, the that farm system is a, a little weak. And you know, there's an old axiom that gets it's tired, but it's it's uh, effective. I think is that you know if you hit, you're going to find your way to the big leagues. And uh, you know, Chavis has moved around a little bit. Uh, he's played some first base, actually a good amount of first base. Uh, he worked at first base a lot in the fall league. Uh, he did miss a lot of time because of the suspension and uh, and then injury. But I think that he, you know, he's going to be ready to impact the big leagues before Dahlbeck. Um, I, you know, I think. Uh, but uh, you know, with what he's showing this spring, uh, the power we always knew it was legitimate. Um, you know, I think that uh, even if he starts steered back in the minors, you know, with a team that's coming off a World Series win, they're not necessarily going to hand him a job. Uh, he will be ready to answer the call and the fact that he can, you know, play a couple different positions um, uh, and DH uh, should, should help uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of that kind of flexibility and finding a way to get that bat into the lineup should they need it. You know, it's interesting too, because I mean, don't forget they've got an even younger third base than Raphael Devers, who is an even higher rate of prospect already ahead of both those guys in Boston too. And, you know, I, I went back on, on the Devers Chavis question or Chavis Dahlbeck question a lot this offseason because I do our Red Sox top 30 list. And I think the organization would probably, like, my, my feeling is if, if you surveyed all the, the, the Red Sox hires up, uh, Dahlbeck might come in slightly ahead of Chavis in their minds. I, I like Chavis a little bit better. I, I just think he's a better bet to hit. Dahlbeck has more. You know, raw power, but you're talking about, you know, we're talking about Cabrian Hayes, guys who swing for the fences and sell out. Dahlbeck sells out. He just strikes out so much, uh, 32% rate last year. I, I just, I wonder if he's ever going to make enough consistent contact to really get into all that power. He's a better defender than Chavis. Um, I think Chavis might be a little bit more versatile. They've even kicked around the idea of maybe even playing Chavis at second base a little bit. And I guess if Travis Shaw and, and Mike Mustakis can do that, he could too. But, uh, It'll be interesting to see how those guys shake out. I, I don't know that either one of them is going to get much playing time in Boston this year. Um, and but you know if Dahlbeck does what he did last year, you know I, I think they're going to open the year with Chavis and Triple A, Dahlbeck and Double A. But if Dahlbeck gets off to a, another huge start like he did last year, then they're both going to be probably time sharing third base and, and playing some other positions in Triple A this year. 
Yeah, and we know that the, the DH spot is, is occupied with J.D. Martinez for the foreseeable future. And, uh, and Devers, <laughs> it's pretty crazy to think that Devers is younger than both of them, but that is, that is what makes Rafi uh, so special. Uh, I want to talk about one more hitter before we get into some pitchers. Uh, another guy uh, doing pretty well in the Grapefruit League, Daz Cameron, of course, the son of longtime MLB outfielder Mike Cameron. Uh, he's a, a Tigers outfield prospect now. He's hitting pretty well. Uh, this is a guy who was, was very, very, very well-known uh, as an underclassman in high school because he was Mike Cameron's son and he looked like the best player on the field and, you know, didn't end up being the, the top 10 pick that some people might have projected him to be. Now he gets traded in the Verlander trade to Detroit from Houston. And now he's in big league camp actually performing pretty well. How has Daz Cameron's ceiling, do you think, changed since he was, you know, a 14-year-old dominating the showcases to now where he's in big league's big training? Jim, what do you, what do you think about Daz? Well, I mean, when he first burst on the scene, uh, you know, as a sophomore and guys are talking about him being the number one overall pick, I think people thought the ceiling was was higher than it was now. And 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 it wasn't really fair to Daz, but he was one of those guys who, who, who kind of emerged as that number one pick candidate as a sophomore. I don't know if he got a whole lot better between his sophomore and senior year. And because of that, even though he was still very talented, he was viewed a little bit as a disappointment. And his draft stock kind of it didn't nosedive, but it, it, it took a hit you know, from some teams. And I, I think he's probably the safest bet. Franklin Perez probably has a higher ceiling but has been hurt. Um, but I think Cameron probably you know, is the safest bet to, to give the Tigers a return on that trade. And, you know, he, he's gotten better the last couple of years. I, I don't think he's going to be a spectacular offensive player. I see him as kind of that guy who, you know, really stands out more for his defense and his base running ability, and he kind of gets the job done offensively where, you know, maybe he hits 260, you know, maybe it's 15 home runs, uh, you know, and a decent amount of walks. I, I don't think it's going to be wild numbers, but I, I think it's going to be, you know, kind of steady offensive production and, and a really good defender in center field. That seems that seems fair. Yeah, it's easy to get excited about, especially nowadays. Of course, we have Vlad Jr., we have we have Tatis Jr., and all these other sons of former big leaguers that it's easy to get excited about. But Daz might just kind of settle in to be uh, kind of more of a more of a steady guy. Uh, Jonathan, I want to ask you about uh, a pitcher uh, who's who's been throwing pretty well so far in spring training. He was a top pick very recently. That's Braves right-hander Kyle Wright. Uh, we know all about the Braves' uh, super-loaded farm system. They checked in at number three on the top farm systems list, uh, mostly because of their depth of pitching. Where does Kyle Wright kind of fit into this this mix? Uh, Tuki Toussaint also threw very well, uh, I believe, earlier today. Uh, Bryce Wilson throwing very well to them. But but Kyle Wright was that top, top pick uh, that they're going to hope to be getting some big league contributions from this season. So how quickly do we think we could see him in the Braves' rotation? I mean, I think he is ready to contribute now. Uh, I mean, he was ready to come up and help out a little bit out of the bullpen, but that was just a first taste after one season, uh, you know, of professional baseball. Uh, so, you know, but he was, uh, you know, the kind of guy who was drafted because uh, because of his ability to move quickly with really good stuff, uh, and he's proven to be that guy. Uh, and so far, so good in. In campus with five shutout innings, six strikeouts, he hasn't walked a guy. Um, you know, the, I, I think he, you know, possibly on the outside looking in, but there's a bunch of guys who could be in that, that mix for that back end of the rotation with all those young pitchers. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Tuki Toussaint threw three hitless innings today and Bryce Wilson had three shutout innings. So um, I still 
think that uh, Bryce Wilson might end up in the bullpen, although he certainly pitched well enough to be a starter. But I think you know he could help help out while uh, you know no one's going to make Kyle Wright a, a reliever uh, permanently. Uh, so you know these things often work themselves out. You know Mike Soroka's uh, thinged up with the shoulder. It's unclear exactly when he's going to be really ready to, to go full board. I think there are a lot of question marks there. Um, so even if Wright ends up, you know, say starts the year in AAA and, and Tukey wins the number five spot, I think you're going to see him pitch significant innings in Atlanta this year. Yeah, I think that that seems pretty fair. I mean, I, it, it's tough, like, when you have that many guys. Again, good problem to have. You know, we talk about having a guy, Dahlbeck and Chavis, and the Braves having all these pitchers, especially pitchers, you know, you know they're never always going to turn out exactly – uh, as you expect. Uh, Jim, I want to ask you about another pitcher who was an, an even higher pick <laughs> quite recently. That was, of course, the number one overall pick from last year, Casey Mines, uh, for the Detroit Tigers. Now, he, 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 I think he's already been sent down to minor league camp, but he impressed very much uh, in his first few outings. The Tigers are not exactly a team looking to contend uh, in 2019, but he might already be ready. So how, what do you think, how fast can they really move him if they don't necessarily need him to compete uh, right away? Well, I mean, I think we're going to have the, the ugly phrase service time considerations rear its head again with Casey Mize. Uh, you know, they aren't going to contend. They're rebuilding. There's, it makes zero business sense to rush him to the big leagues or get him up this year. But, you know, part of the reason he was number one pick last year was it's, it's an uncommon combination uh, of stuff and polish. You know, he's got legit swing and miss stuff. His splitter's unhittable. He throws in the mid-90s. He's, he's got a really good slider, and he pounds a strike zone. I, he led the NCAA Division One in strikeout-to-walk ratio two years ago. He finished, I think, in the top five last year. Um, so, I mean, this guy's going to move quickly. You know, if this were 20 years ago when it was get these guys to the big leagues as quick as possible and you didn't really think about service time, I think we'd be looking at Casey Mize, you know, up in the big leagues before the end of the season. But but my guess is with the the path that the Tigers are on, you know, realistically, we're probably talking about, you know, sometime more mid-2020. But I'd be very surprised if he doesn't go out and carve up the minor leagues this year. And, and then we'll be talking all offseason, you know, exactly how soon can we see him. But I, I think if you're just talking about readiness and you're not worrying about delaying his free agency, that he'd be ready by the end of the year or before the end of the year, I should say. Yeah, and and we'll see. He was he's he's a very unique unique pitcher. Not too many guys coming up with the splitter as their best pitch, um, but he is he's he's very very special. Uh, so I want to stay on spring training, but Jonathan, you mentioned you're you're out in Arizona right now. Uh, I don't know how many different camps you've checked in on. Uh, you mentioned you're in Salt River, uh, uh, but it sounds like you were you were at Mariners camp recently. Uh, what what have you been What did you see over there? A lot of new faces there. A lot of new prospects for a system that that uh, has not been very good for a while. But now they've got a bunch of new faces. Uh, what do you what did you see over at Mariners camp? You seem to have specific interest in the Mariners, Jordan. Is that well, true? Well, I, I don't. Uh, you, you might say that one you might might that. call me a fan of the team, but right now I am the host of this podcast, and I am looking for objective analysis of this team's farm. So please, Jonathan, <laughs> well, great on, young man. Um, <laughs> so you know, I think that uh, it's interesting because I'm doing. I did the Mariners top thirty this year for the first time uh, in a while. Mike Rosenbaum had done it, but I been to Mariners camp the last few years. So Andy McCain, farm director, I know pretty well. Uh, Tom Allison, uh, who kind of helps oversee both scouting and player development. Um, 
Jim will attest to is one of the one of the best guys uh, in baseball evaluation circles, and uh, so it was great. I even got to see Tom McNamara and his uh, his sweater vest, uh, Jim. Uh, he was in camp right. yesterday. Again, but, can't uh, you, well, it's been cold in Arizona, so you need that. But I think you yeah, know, it was 95. It's gotten a little warmer. But he'd be wearing the sweater vest. He, he always wears those. You know, he's got some sporty ones now. Anyway, but I digress. But the, the thing that's fun about going there now is that there are, are guys to talk about. Um, you know, it's is it the best system in baseball? No. You know, uh, but they've taken a step forward from being maybe the worst system in baseball and you know, I think people can look at uh, what's going on in big league camp to see uh, how some of the guys are doing. Uh, Justice Sheffield has been uh, very, very impressive, uh, not just in terms of his games, but how he's carried himself. Uh, I think he's kind of refound that combination of his stuff and his command, um, which is important to him. I think he was trying to, to bump up the velocity too much, so he lost feel, which was a, a big part of his game. Uh Justin Dunn, you know, who came from the Mets, has also looked good in his first uh, his first big league camp. And uh, I talked to Jared Kelnick, uh, who's not in big league camp, but he's already there, and he looks like he's gotten a lot stronger. Um, so I'm looking forward for him in his first full season. But some of the guys sort of like lower down, you know, are, are interesting. And I got some sort of interesting information on uh, Gerson Bautista, uh, you know, who's down near the bottom of the top 30. He's one of these guys who throws 100, but uh, got hit a lot. Um, one of the things that the Mariners have been really working with him on is throwing that four-seam fastball up in the zone more. Uh, and because what has happened is his fastball would kind of flatten out and it was very hittable. But now that he's throwing it up, it's been unhittable. And you combine that with what's a really, really good power breaking ball, and they think that they may have unlocked a, a key uh, to his success as a short reliever, um, you know, where previously he was kind of an enigma because the stuff looked like, well, this guy shouldn't get hit, and yet his numbers were were not very good beyond just the, the poor command. So, so, so that was really interesting. But like the guy who I like talking about the most right now is Julio Rodriguez. Um, I talked about him on the network uh, on Tuesday. Um, this was a big international sign. Um, he's, you know, uh, just physically imposing. And one of the things that they didn't know is, you know, when a kid that age and he's got a big frame is what he would do with it. Um, you know, he hasn't played in the United States yet. And they fought the years to bring him to the United States, even though he just ripped apart the Dominican Summer League. Um, and then he showed up to camp in just absolutely ridiculous shape. Uh, so, you know, we could have gone in another direction where he showed up and, you know, didn't take conditioning seriously. He took all of it seriously. He's learned English. He's like a great personality. I think that in the next couple of years, he's one of the guys that I circle now all the time when we talk about like, well, who's going to be, uh, a, you know, one of our top prospects, you know, two, three years from now. And I think that we're going to be talking about him um, similarly to how we're talking about, a guy like Eloy Jimenez now. And I'm not saying he's necessarily going to be that that good. I think he has a chance to be that kind of special offensive player. And uh, my favorite thing about, about Julio is, is definitely that he uh, has been attending all of the major league games and just Instagram-living his minor league friends at bats. He's just regularly in the crowd yep. 
just kind of yeah. hanging out, he which just, is I don't not right. He's not obligated to go. This isn't like hey, we want you to go. He just decides to go. He goes to every single game. You're right. Yeah, and uh, and and for an 18 year old who he's not expected to the minor leaguers, you think they have enough baseball, but uh, but he can't get enough. And he did actually get in in one of those big league games and and got a hit, which was pretty cool. Um, so yes, my my objective assessment there is that that all sounds very very fun and exciting. <laughs> Uh, Jim, uh, you're going to be heading down to, to Florida soon. Is there one camp that you're especially looking forward to? Um, you know, it's interesting because I was looking at this, and most of the teams I do top 30s for are actually in Arizona, and I think a lot of our top farm systems are in Arizona. Um, but one of mine that fits both those criteria, I, I guess the Astros are probably the best farm system. The Astros and Braves are the two best farm systems I will see in um in florida although we you know for all the talk we had about casey mize i will be in lakeland on march 16th and maybe if the stars align i get to see casey mize pitching a minor league game that day but you know i'm interested in you know the astros are kind of them and the yankees are, are two organizations it seems like every one of their pitchers you know has high spin rates and you know you know mid 90s or higher four steamers up in the zone and nasty curveballs dropping out the bottom of the zone so I, I doubt they'll they'll reveal all their secrets to me, but I'm kind of looking forward to, to going on the backfields and watching some of those guys in action. And, you know, as we are talking about, the Braves have about, you know, it seems like a, an endless supply of pitching prospects too, so it'll be kind of fun to see those guys, uh, you know, when I'm down there in the middle of next week. Yes, and, and looking forward to, to hearing more about that once you do uh, go and see those all those new prospects. All right, so that's that's all for the for – the, the actual professional prospect side. I want to get some draft chat in because the amateur seasons are well underway. And, uh, and, and I know the draft is, is not till June, but it's never too early to start talking, start talking mock drafts, start talking who is going to be those guys at the top of the draft. And right now uh, we have Oregon State catcher Adley Rutschman, switch hitting catcher who, of course, is in Oregon State winning the World College World Series last year. And Adley, the best player on the best team. And now here he is. Seemingly the presumptive number one overall pick that would be belong to the Baltimore Orioles. I guess my question about Adley uh, right now is, is I can't remember the last time uh, in recent years that we've had a consensus number one this early in the season. Is Adley, how does Adley stack up to recent number one uh, draft prospects going into the season? What do you think about that, Jim? Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. The last guy who was kind of that consensus number one guy wound up not going number one, and that was Carlos Rodon, right? Jonathan, I can't think of anybody yeah. who's been a slam dunk going into the year. This guy, you know, there, there are guys who obviously, you know, it seems like Florida had pitchers, but, like, I don't think there's been another guy since Rodon. Do you? And that was 2014. But, but, but was that – man, I can't believe that's five years ago. But, yeah, I think you're right. Just in terms of the combination of, like, skill set tools and performance and then throw in Rutschman's position as a catcher. I, yeah, I don't think there's been anybody who's been that, you know, maybe we, you know, we would come to a, an easy consensus that this guy should be number one on our, like based on talent board, but not this, this much of a, yes, this is clearly the, the guy who should be number one. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, you did see it. I mean, we had a stretch for, you know, in a six-year period where you had Justin Upton, David Price, you know, Steven Strasburg, and Bryce Harper, what was happening more often than not, and it just hasn't happened recently. But, um, but no, he, 
you know, I mean, it's obviously early. A lot can happen. There's still three months to go. We're, you know, basically a few weekends into the college season at this point. I don't even think they played 25% of the regular season. But, I mean, you know, here's a guy who, you know, came into the season, you know, clearly is the number one guy. I, I mean, I think we both felt that way. And as talented as he is, I mean, he's certainly done nothing to help that. I mean, I really think, Jonathan, I mean, if there was a question on him at all, you know, he had some, I think it was, what, shoulder problems at times last year? You know, so, you know, there, there was that question a little bit. What was on the health of his arm? Not that there had been anything recent with it. Um, and the arm's been healthy, and he's got, you know, the last time I checked, I think it was something like five homers and 10 or 11 games and 15 walks and just ridiculous numbers. Um, you know, I think that would be a pretty easy pick for the Baltimore Orioles at number one if the draft were today. Right, and and again, right, a lot can happen, uh, but it does kind of say a lot that, that you know, the, maybe the biggest concern is just, you know, health, right, because the, all the skills are there. You switch hitter, he's a catcher. It's really everything you can want, and, and, and I'm curious to see if, if at any point this, this season he, he kind of gives up that number one spot. And, and maybe one guy who, who's already challenging in, in the early going, although it's going to be a lot harder for him, especially on the positional side of things, is uh, Cal first baseman Andrew Vaughn, who, you know, Adley Rushman's been putting up crazy numbers, but Andrew Vaughn is, is in a whole other stratosphere of offensive production right now. His OPS is over 1,800. So, so he's and Cal is only six and four, which seems impossible if you basically have like Babe Ruth on your team. But but is there anything that Andrew Vaughn can do, especially as a right-handed hitting first baseman, to get into that tier for the number one overall pick uh, up there with Rutschman? Jonathan, what do you think about that? Um, maybe get back on the mound and start pitching again. Um, he did that you know, early. On, he did that early on in uh, in his college career. No, I am. I am joking. Yeah, it, it's 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 an interesting case because he is a right-handed hitting first baseman, uh, but you know this is a guy who won Golden Spikes last year and now has seven homers and 34 at bats uh, over 10 games. And as you mentioned, like they're not that good of a team. You know, should teams be pitching around him? Well, 15 walks and five strikeouts in 10 games. It's just stupid what he's been doing so far. So I think he has put himself into, if not necessarily to to go. One one, uh, but I mean he was always going to go high as a college performer, even with that sort of uh, you know bias or whatever you want to call it against right-handed hitting first baseman. But um, I, I, he has to be in the conversation for for the for the top two or three picks certainly because he's just going to. I think he's going to keep doing what he's doing. He's clearly one of the best, if not the the best pure hitter, uh, and. You know, it's just Rushman's ability to stay behind the plate. Uh, you know, otherwise maybe we would be talking about Vaughn as as a potential number one uh, overall pick. And uh, I don't think that you're gonna have to wait very long in June to to hear Vaughn's name come off the board. Yeah, I was gonna say like I, I coming into the year, uh, like you and I decry the the, the the point of doing mock drafts. You know, eight months before the draft. But, like, coming into the year, like, just seeing him going perhaps number three, the White Sox made a lot of sense because the White Sox have been drafting, you know, kind of offensive players and not necessarily worrying about the mold they fit or the positional demographic as much. And, you know, I, like, but get, you know, getting back to your original question there, Jordan, I, I can't see him going 1-1 just with, with the value that Adley Rutschman gives you behind the plate. And I don't even know if I see him going 1-2. 
because the Royals drafted Nick Prado in the first round a couple of years ago at first base, and you don't draft for need, but I don't see you spending two picks in the first round in three years on first baseman when you're in the rebuilding process. So I, I, I could see him going three, but, but, but that said, he is the best hitter in the draft. I mean, people thought that coming into the year, he's done nothing to change that. Like, I, I don't even think it's close in terms of if you're looking at a guy who's going to hit for average, how high on base percentage, hit for power. I mean, it's Andrew Vaughn, and it's everybody else in this draft. So it'll be interesting. I mean, we, we kind of had the same discussion last year with Nick Madrigal, who was, you know, the best player in college baseball. He was hurt, but he was the best player. Not necessarily the best tools, but the best player. But you're also talking about a, a small middle infielder who is probably going to play at second and was much more hit over power. And how high could that guy go? And he went fourth. And it was the White Sox that took him. I, I just... You know, again, we're not having to do a mock draft today, but if I were, while I would definitely decry, geez, it's way too early, nobody knows who they're picking yet, I would feel pretty good about putting Rutschman one to the Orioles, and I would feel pretty good about putting Vaughn number three to the White Sox right now. Yeah, but I mean, I obviously agree. It's, it's, it's too early to mock, but it is, it is an interesting that, to see both these two top college hitters just do everything that we expected and uh, and we'll see we'll see where it goes because it it almost doesn't matter how good how good the numbers are for Vaughn because uh, those those other uh, limitations could could limit his draft stock. Uh, keep staying with the college ranks. I, I want to talk about a couple guys that have really improved their stock over the first month or so. Uh, Jim, what can you tell me about a a gentleman from Ball State with the name Dre Jamison? Dre D R E Y, not not a name you're used to seeing. Uh, but this guy, uh, a six-foot right-hander, but he's been putting up some pretty crazy numbers in the early going. Yeah, he, he has, um, I think it's something like 30 strikeouts, close to 30 strikeouts in about 15 innings. He, he's not a real big guy, but, but he throws very hard. Uh, you know, some scouts mentioned him to me last fall. There was a guy who, who kind of touched the mid-90s during, you know, fall practice on their, on their scout day, which, again, I mean, you're, you're usually ramping it up and pitching to the gun. Well, this was more than that because he's come out this spring. I mean, he's been in the upper 90s at times. He's got a pretty hard slider. Um, you know, draft-eligible sophomores, the guys will have to figure that out. But he's going to go, you know, if the draft were today, um, I, I don't. I think he'd go, you know, assuming he's signable, probably in the top two rounds. And there's a guy who's been increasing his sign even more than Jameson. Uh, that's a junior college right-hander, Jackson Rutledge uh, at San Jacinto. Uh, Jim, what can you tell me about him? Yeah, you know, know, Jonathan and I split up the country, and when we did our top 50 back in the winter, Jackson Rutledge was the best JUCO player in my half of the country, probably the best JUCO player in the whole draft. I won't won't speak for Jonathan there, but, you know, not a guy who, I mean, at the time was going to make the top 50, but a guy who the consensus when I was talking to people was, you know, he needs to come out and perform, but if he does, he's certainly capable of bursting into the top 50. Well, He's burst well past the, the 50 threshold, and I think Jackson Rutledge would go in the upper half of the first round if the draft were today. Uh, you know, he, he's interesting. He was a guy who, you know, was first on my radar when he was coming out of high school. He wound up going to Arkansas, and you know, the team went to Arkansas went to the College World Series finals last year. Deep pitching staff. He didn't pitch a whole lot, so he transferred to San Jack, and he has been lights out. All year, uh, you know, the last time I checked, I think he had something like 53 strikeouts and 30 something innings. And he's huge guy, six foot eight, 260. He's been mid 90s. He, he keeps that velocity, you know, throughout a game. He, he's got one of the better sliders in this draft. 
he's throwing strikes, which is something he didn't do last year, which is why he didn't pitch more at Arkansas in the SEC. But if he continues to, to show this kind of stuff and, and throw strikes as much as he has, uh, you know, it's a very weird year for, for college pitching. And actually, now, now I'm saying that reminds me, Carter Stewart was actually the highest rated guy in Jonathan's half of the country. So he, Jackson Rutledge will be the number two junior college prospect. But, you know, if Carter Stewart stays healthy and he's had some, some times where he's looked pretty good this spring, it's not inconceivable that we could see junior college pitchers, two JUCO guys, theoretically, go before any four-year college pitchers get picked. But um, Jackson Rutledge has, has looked very, very good so far. Yeah, and I don't know what the precedent is there in terms of two junior college arms going before any other uh, D1 arms, but that will definitely be, be something to monitor. All right, uh, Jonathan, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll finish with you here. Are there any other draft names that you've heard about uh, over the last month or so that you think has, have, have increased their stock? I think the, the, the one who's come up the most, and it's always a sign when you know, scouts or scouting directors – tell you about a guy without you asking um and that's matt allen uh high school pitcher in florida who was very good over the summer uh, sort of entered the summer as like an interesting guy and i saw him early like in tournament of stars and he was good he's big he's strong he had stuff uh, i was like wow this is a guy to watch he was good all summer he's been really really good uh early on spring i heard some reports that he's up to 98 uh, with his fastball, um, it comes out easy. This is not like a, a violent delivery kind of guy. So I think that at least as of right now, and, you know, listen, it's early March. So sometimes uh, guys break out uh, in those states where they're playing baseball so early, uh, and then they kind of either plateau or regress a little bit. So we'll have to see what, what he does. But he may have moved himself up into being considered the top high school pitcher uh, in 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 this entire draft class, you know, if we were going to line up our, our our draft list right now, uh, he, he would certainly be in the conversation to be the first high school arm listed. And that will be especially interesting to watch, as Jim mentioned, the the crop of college pitching, maybe particularly weak. So we could see Allen maybe even be the first pitcher off the board. But we'll we'll keep an eye on all those draft guys. Uh, thank you guys for talking to me about. Uh, the, the, the spring training standouts. Jim, enjoy your trip to Florida. Jonathan, enjoy the rest of your trip to Arizona. Thank you guys for listening to, that, to the MLB Pipeline podcast, and we will see you guys next week.